Time for us to begin. No reason to move our uh, worship up and then start late, is there? So we're about a minute late. If you will, uh, turn your, and no, you don't need to turn in your books, to 658. I think we're good up here on the overhead. You what? Oh, it turned off? You'll need your songbooks. Okay, might as well go ahead and start. Yeah, Jeremy says we might as well start. 658, if you will, please stand if it's convenient for you. We're seeing the first, second, and fourth verses. Well, there it is. There is much to do. There's work on every hand. Hark the cry for help comes ringing through the land. Jesus calls for reapers, I must act and be. What will thou, O Master, hear am I send me? Five hundred ninety-three will be our next song. Five hundred ninety-three. Then we'll have our reading and prayer. Five 
four verses. Son of my soul, thou Savior dear, it is not night if thou be near. Oh, may no earth-born cloud arise to Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this time, Lord, thanking you for our time here this evening that we can come to worship you, Father. And we thank you, Father, for the, the building that you've blessed us with that allows us to worship in comfort. And we thank you for the family, uh, like believers here at Rome, Father, and the encouragement that we get from each other as we worship you. And thank you, Lord, so much for Jesus, uh, for his life, for his teachings. and and his death on the cross and the hope that we have through his, his death. And we're so thankful that you've provided a way that we can be saved, knowing that we can't do it for ourselves. And thank you for your word, Father, that, that we have to guide us. And we just pray that we will continue to, to study from it and, and learn from it and, and apply it to our lives and, and look to opportunities to teach others about your love and and Father, we're mindful of so many of our number that are struggling at this time with different health issues, and we continue to pray for them, Father. We, we pray for the Ward family, for James, and for Kristen, for her health, Father. Just bless and be with her, help 
give her strength and, and their family strength and just comfort them at this time and be with all those dealing with, with cancer, Father. We just continue to pray for Rusty and, and uh, so many others. For Kelly, Father, she begins the radiation tomorrow and just bless each of them and, and be with uh, the Lawson family, Father, for JB and Wanda and the loss of their son, and be with Susie, and just be with that family at this time, and comfort, and um, strengthen them, as well as the Jones and Blake family, Father, they've experienced uh, loss recently, and just continue to, to be with our number, and be with the, our shut-ins, Father, especially this time of the year, as it gets dark early, and through the holidays, it can be a difficult time for them, we just pray your blessings upon them, and uh, strengthen them, and just help us uh, do our best to Continue to reach out to them and touch base with them, Father, knowing that they know that they are loved and missed. And Father, just uh, continue to be with our service this evening, with our singing, and with Chris as he presents the lesson. We just again pray, God, that everything we do is is always uh, with you in mind, and pray that we always uh, uh, strive to to follow your your will and and just give you all the glory, Father, and. And just pray that you would watch over us and be with us. And as we leave here this evening and, and go our separate ways, that you would give us safe travels and just give us a good week ahead, Father, that we uh, not just think about you on, on Sundays and, and possibly Wednesdays, but we think about you throughout the week and that we always strive to, to do your will and, and be the best that we can be for you, Father. Forgive us when we do fall short. It's through Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen. The reading this evening comes from Second Chronicles, chapter 16, verses 7 through 10. Second Chronicles 16, 7 through 10. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the, and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them in your hand, into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the time. If you're using the books and you want to mark, 777 is our song of invitation, number 777. And we are going to sing... Uh, Four verses of number 732, so if you'll stand, we'll sing that before we have our lesson. We praise thee, O God. We'll omit the fourth, omit the fourth verse. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus
We are in the middle of a study uh, we're calling Binge Reading Through the Bible. And this is uh, the people that are in Jesus' genealogy from Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we've been looking at some of their lives, at least the ones that we know a good bit about. We've been trying to capture something that God wants us to learn from these men's lives. And so tonight, uh, we have the pleasure of studying one of the good kings of Israel. You may not think he's a very good king from, uh, from the reading tonight, but he has uh, been a good king for most of his 41 years of reign. You find his story in, in 1 Kings chapter 15 and 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Uh, like we noticed last week, the author of Kings is answering a very specific question. Whose fault is the exile? Because Israel was looking back at God and saying, this is your fault. You didn't keep covenant with us. We did everything right. And you weren't powerful enough, I think is the question, to keep us away from exile, to keep the Babylonians out of our territory. Were you not powerful enough to do that? And the author of Kings says, God didn't break covenant. You, people, Israel, broke covenant with your sin. And so he's going to draw our attention to Israel's sin, specifically the king's sin. And so that's what he does here in 1 Kings chapter 15 as he brings to our attention the life of King Asa. Uh, he reigns for 41 years. Up until this point, he is the longest lived king out of any of them. Uh, not even the great King David had 41 years. He had 40 years, uh, seven of which were in uh, he just reigned over the southern nation of Judah, just over his own tribe, and then 33 years reigning over the entire nation of Israel. But now the kingdom has fractured once again uh, under uh, King Rehoboam, and uh, this is Rehoboam's great-grandson. His name is Asa, and he is a good man. He's a good king. Look over in Second Chronicles chapter 14. We're coming back to 1 Kings 15. I like the way... Um, he speaks about some of the things that Asa did there toward the end of his life. Asa is going to, he's going to not be wholly devoted to the Lord. Um, he, and that's where we're going to learn what we're going to learn from Asa tonight. At least I think that's probably the big picture God wants us to learn from Asa is found here in 1 Kings 15. But I want you to show you his life from, from 2 Chronicles chapter 14. His dad was Abijah. We talked about him last week. I think Abijah is his real name, although the author of Kings calls him Abijam. And so you've got this battle between Abijam and Abijah. Which one's the real guy? Which one's his right name? I think it's Abijah because Abijam means my father is Yam. Yam was a Canaanite god. <clears throat> and Abijah means my father is Yahweh, um, which is something that a Davidic king would have named his, his son. And so this, this guy, Abijah, is not a righteous man, though. And I think that's why the king's author calls him Abijam, because he is not in line with what God wants him to be or do or think. Uh, his priorities are all kinds of out of whack. And so he is nicknamed, I suppose, we can put it like that, Abijam in, by kings. He has a son named Asa. Asa is a good man. Listen to what Asa does here in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse, verses 1 and 2. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. Do you know how long it's been since the land had rest? 
Sometimes when we're going through narrative portions of Scripture like this, you kind of grab a hold of uh, the narrative, grab a hold of the story, and you think, how long has it been since there hasn't been a war in Israel? Because we know from Rehoboam's day that he and Jeroboam, there was always there was constant conflict between these two. A lot of border skirmishes, not a lot of open hostility, but a lot of border skirmishes. And that's the way both Kings and Chronicles portrays these two men's lives. They were always at war with each other. Their sons were always at war with each other. And last week we learned Abijah and, uh, and, and uh, his counterpart Jeroboam were also always at war with each other. And so today we, we learn that Asa's reign, at least the first ten years of it, is marked with rest. You know how long it's been? It's been since the days of Solomon that the kingdom of Israel hasn't been at war with somebody. Now, why? Why have they not? Uh, why are they now at rest with people? Well, verse 2 tells you why they're not currently in a conflict with someone. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. If you flip back over to uh, 1 Kings 14, the reason God gave Solomon rest was because Solomon sought the Lord with all of his heart. And so that's what Asa is doing here. And it's a throwback to the days of Solomon, to the glory days of Israel. They're returning again. Interestingly enough, the people are going to return. You'll find uh, as we walk through this passage tonight uh, that some of the people in the northern nation of Israel, remember there's ten tribes up there and only two tribes down here, two including the Levites who have left the northern nation because they're not useful up there, they're not uh, Jeroboam's not allowed them to serve in the capacity that they were trained to serve, the capacity that they wanted to serve in. And so they leave. And so uh, the Davidic kings have essentially three tribes, but in Scripture they're going to be noted as two. But during uh, Asa's day, some of the tribes up here in the north are going to reacclimate under the, under the Davidic dynasty. They're going to come back to Asa's reign, and they come back because they see that the Lord's with them. It's kind of incredible. Um, Listen to what else he did in verse two or verse three. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram. Now that's kind of a big deal. Uh, you're going to see this this high places. If you mark in your scriptures, you're going to want to mark there, uh, underline high places because you're going to see that all throughout this two hundred, three hundred year, two hundred fifty year reign of both the northern and the southern kingdoms uh, of Israel and Judah. They're both going to struggle with these high places. And most scholars think that they're uh, at least in the southern nation, they have built up altars on top of mountains so as to get closer to God, possibly. It's a, they think that physicality, like being physically closer to the heavens, will make them spiritually closer to them or make them easier to be heard, maybe. Um, something like the Tower of Babel is what most scholars envision happening on these mountains. They're crying out to God, and they think because they're physically closer to the heavens that he will hear them. Of course, that's not the case. They're not worshiping in the right place. He's already told them where to worship. Go to the temple to worship. You don't worship on high places. Most scholars think that the high places, uh, when the Jews worshiped on these high places, they're worshiping Yahweh. They're not worshiping most, most of the time. They're not worshiping um, a Canaanite god or something like that. They're worshiping Yahweh they're just not worshiping, worshiping him correctly. And so what they're doing is sinful, but it's hard to quantify sin to say this sin's worse than this one. But 
uh, he definitely treats idolatry uh, in the northern kingdom as, as worse than, than this particular sin of the high places. Asa's going to take away some of those. He's not going to take away all of them, uh, and they're going to come back during his lifetime. But he does cut down the Asherim. In fact, he's going to remove his grandmother, Maka. Remember, uh, remember her? She came into our story yesterday, or last week, with Abijah. Uh, she's Abijah's mom. So Rehoboam's wife, uh, Maka, uh, is Abijah's mom. She's Asa's grandmother, and she served as the role of queen mother. So essentially, she's got an awful lot of authority. Uh, she's got an awful lot of respect. People look to her for guidance. Uh, and she is not an Israelite. And so she worships these false gods, these Canaanite gods. And in fact, she has even made one of them or had one of them made uh, and is enforcing the worship of that. And uh, Asa's going to cut that thing down and he's going to remove her from uh, her place of, of uh, prestige. In verse 4 he says, And commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. That's not going to be the last time he does it. The next time he does it, it's going to come with a death sentence if you don't seek the Lord. So it's just a really interesting God, a really interesting uh, section of history. In verse 5, he also took out all the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. Rested for ten years. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. Uh, the, the chronicler wants you to identify this fact. It wasn't the fact that all the nations around him were inferior and that they were afraid of Asa's army. That had nothing to do with it. The Lord was the cause of this peace because Asa had sought him with his whole heart. Things tend to fall in line. Things tend to fall in place. When you seek the Lord with everything you've got. Amen. Have you seen that in your own life? Things tend to fall in line. When you seek the Lord with everything you've got. Asa teaches us that, that lesson here in the middle of his story. Verse 7 he says. Uh, he said to Judah. Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers. Gates and bars. The land is still ours. Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Now, if you read through the rest of this little section, we're not going to take time to do that tonight. But if you read through the rest of chapter 14, you'll find a guy named Zerah, the Ethiopian, who uh, is going to cause a problem for Asa. The problem is Asa only has 580,000 warriors and Zerah has a million warriors. The numbers are staggering as you think about uh, the conflict these two, men's must, these two men must have had as they met uh, on the battlefield that day. But God routes the Ethiopians and Asa is able to win the day by this incredible act of faith. Uh, he, he meets uh, Zerah and his superior force on the battlefield and uh, trusts in God that God will get the job done, that he will win the day, and indeed he does. And so you find Asa having this Davidic-like faith, the kind of faith that David had when he stepped out on the battlefield to face Goliath. You find it in his great-great-grandson, this king named Asa. In verse, chapter 15, uh, you find him doing these um, he's, he's trying to bring revival back to Israel because they're far away. Um, they have not enjoyed spiritual uh, success 
since Solomon's day. It's been a little over a hundred years since the kingdom of Israel and the Davidic line has led in a way that was beneficial to the people. Rehoboam didn't really care. Um, His son didn't really care. His grandson didn't really care, but Asa cares. Uh, He is focused on serving the Lord with all of his heart. And so he starts enacting these religious reforms. This is what happens here in in chapter 15. As uh, Asa is on his way back from the battle with Zerah, he meets a prophet. Listen to what he says to him in verse 1 here in chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. That's usually not good when a prophet says that. (laughs) But in this case, it is good. He says, The Lord is with you while you are with him. Okay, you stick with God, he'll stick with you. Asa's nodding. He's, He's probably seen that in his own life. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. It's been about a century, remember, since, since all that's been true. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. So if you seek the Lord with everything you've got, what? You'll find him. Right? You'll find him. He's not far from each one of us. That's what Paul reminds us in Acts chapter 17. He wants to be found by you. He wants to have a relationship with you. It's an incredible thought that the God of the universe seeks out people. But when we seek him, we can find him. And that's the promise here that Azariah has given to Asa in his days. In verse 5, he says, In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. So things were bad, right? He says things were just crumbling. And in verse 7 he says, But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and he put away all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. So he started doing things that he knew was right. He started living even more faithfully, more righteously, uh, more wholeheartedly devoted toward the Lord. After this um, shot in the arm, I guess, Azariah gives him, Asus kind of stands back and says, this is what we need to be doing anyhow. Let's go after it. Let's go after it with all of our hearts. And so he takes away all the foreign, all, all the foreign idols. Now, when he does that, he's going, remember, against his own grandmother. He's going against a good portion of his own country. It's probably not all that popular of an idea, but he does it. And he does it for 41 years. Uh, he holds it together. So there again, you get uh, this idea of the, the capability of one righteous person. What can you do in your family? If you're struggling and uh, your, your spouse doesn't believe or your children don't believe or uh, your, your community doesn't believe, what is the capability of one person who's believing? Here one person leads an entire nation back to God. And you'll see that time and time again uh, throughout, the t- throughout the history of Israel. God is intent on us seeing the possibilities of one righteous person. He loves that idea of, of just a few righteous people enacting re- revolution, revival, 
in a large group of people. Uh, and so he does it here with Asa. Asa tears apart all these, these false idols. Um, he goes to the house of the Lord. He goes back to the temple, and the altar of the Lord that stands in front of the temple is just massive. Uh, it wouldn't fit on our stage. On this, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, re, a rec, recreation of the Old Testament uh, burnt uh, offer. <laughs> going too fast. Of the altar of burnt offering, but it is incredibly huge. Um, yeah, it wouldn't come close to fitting on our stage up here. I think it was 15 by 15, 15 feet by 15 feet. It's a big box. It's just a huge, huge thing. It's a monstrosity. But during uh, Rehoboam's time, for the last hundred years or so, it's fallen out of use. They haven't been they haven't been worshiping the Lord like that, like He had commanded them to, and so uh, it's it's fallen all upon disrepair. And so Asa comes to the house of the Lord and he starts repairing that uh, the altar. In verse 11, they sacrificed the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. If you've, if you've never stopped for a second and thought about the visceral reaction that you would have when 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep were killed, stop and think about that for just a second because that's, that's worthy of your attention. One would be tough, right? A lot of us hunt and you gut a deer and you're like, okay, I got it. If you saw that 7,500, 7,700 times, eventually it's just a little overwhelming, isn't it? Especially for one person. Blood would have been everywhere, all over the altar. The smell of the stench, the burning flesh, it would just filled your nostrils for days. Your clothes would have smelled like it for weeks. Your hair would have smelled. This is a visceral reaction. Why? Why did he demand death for sin? And I think he wants it to stick in our heads. The, the, the pain, the hurt, the, we need to have that visceral, visceral reaction. Um, and it's only a reaction that that type of carnage can cause in us. Uh, he's trying to get us to see the destruction, the destructive nature of sin. And, and it comes across here. Uh, I think, with, with all these sacrifices. Uh, in verse 12, he says, And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul, but that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath. There wasn't a, there wasn't a person that was sad about this oath. There wasn't somebody in the corner going, Man, now I got to read my Bible and go to church every Sunday. Man, this is going to be a half. They were all happy about. It. They were rejoicing over this oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought Him with their whole desire. And guess what? He was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. When you seek the Lord, you find Him. The rest of this chapter talks about uh, Mecca and and. Uh, his Asa's grandmother and how she set up the detestable image for Asherah. Asa cutting it down. He goes to the brook Kidron, Kidron Stream. Um, it's there right outside the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus would have crossed this as he goes uh, over to the Mount of Olives um, when he prayed, uh, whenever he did that. 
uh, especially there on the, the night of his betrayal, he crossed over the brook Kidron uh, and goes over to the, to the Mount of Olives. Kidron Brook is, is important in the Old Testament because right outside of that little section is Israel's dumping ground. It's their, it's their landfill. Uh, it would have stank. It was detestable, much like landfills are today, only exponentially worse. Um, this place was detestable. It's hateful. They, they would have not gone there for any reason outside of dumping trash. That's where he takes the, the, the image that he had cut down and crushed and he burned and he dumped the ashes in, um, at, the, at this creek called Kidron. Verse 17 is really interesting. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 15, he says, But the high places were not taken out of Israel. The high places weren't. And so those places where Israel would go to worship Possibly Yahweh, but they were worshiping him incorrectly. These things were not taken out of Israel, and they're not going to be for a very long time. Um, there are going to be a couple more good kings in the Davidic line, David's descendants. There are going to be a couple more good ones, but it's not all the way until Hezekiah that these things are taken down. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good long time before uh, anyone else lives up to the reputation of Asa. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts, his father, and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. So all the stuff that his dad should have brought in, that his dad didn't because his dad didn't care anything about Yahweh, Asa made up for that, and then he brought in his own gifts. So what? God blesses generosity, right? If we're generous, God uh, steps in there. And generosity is more about... Um, our faithfulness. It's more about a cleansing, a purifying effect on us than God actually needing anything. Of course, he doesn't need any of that stuff, but it says something about us. Um, and it says something here about Asa with his generosity. He was concerned not only to bring in the stuff that his dad should have brought in, but the stuff that he himself needed to sacrifice. He brought that in as well. Uh, in verse 19, there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Now, in year 36, something happens. Uh, Asa is an older man by this point, and for some reason, um, he, his faith is going to struggle in the 36th year. Don't really know why. We're not really led uh, to a conclusion here, but let me tell you how it all happens. You can read it for yourself here in Second Chronicles chapter 16 as well as First Kings chapter 15. Um, so we're getting to to the point I think that God wants us to see, maybe the main point that God wants us to see out of. Asa's life. Jeroboam has finally died. His son Nadab is finally dead, although he only reigned for a couple months, I think. Um, but now there's a new king in Israel. Um, ba Baasha uh, is king over the northern nation of Israel. He's pretty politically savvy. He's not going to reign for a terribly long time either, but he's fairly politically savvy. And so he is going to come down off of the, the northern nation and he's going to come down into the southern nation. And right here, there's a little city called um, uh, Ramah. And it is five miles from Bethel, thanks to a road that runs horizontal. And it's five miles from Jerusalem, thanks to a road that runs vertically. And so at this little city called Ramah, it's a hill. It literally means a lifted up place. Ramah is what it means in Hebrew, lifted up place. And so at this little, at this little hill, at this city is the intersection that is 
incredibly important. It's going to be incredibly important uh, to, to the southern nation of, of Judah uh, for the rest of their existence. Because if you were able to militarize that little city, if you could fortify it and keep people from getting, you could keep people from getting into Judah to help him, and you could keep Judah out, you could cut off his escape route from anywhere else in, in the territory. So essentially, Basha is trying to back Asus um, back up against the wall. He's trying to put him in between a rock and a hard place. And so that's what he does. He goes over and he starts uh, fortifying this, this rhema, this lifted up high place in between on this, on this main uh, road. For whatever reason, Asus' faith that was so strong early on in his life dwindles. Uh, and we're kind of left wondering why. We don't, we don't know why outside of possibly the fact um, that his back is up against the wall. Um, and maybe this is a more significant threat to him, at least mentally, than even fighting off the, the superior force early on in his career uh, with the Ethiopian was. So he calls for help. But he doesn't call for help to God which would have been the reasonable thing. It's what he did earlier when he was uh, up against a superior force, when he was up against a force twice his size. What did he do? He called out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. And he's, he's seen him be faithful time and time again throughout his reign. But here, for whatever reason, he calls out to the king of Syria. He says, hey, come help me. Flip back over to 1 Kings chapter 15. I want you to see how um, the author of Kings puts it here. Chronicles has it as well, but I think that the, the, the writer of Kings has it a little bit more. Um, he says the same thing. He just says it a little sneakier. Uh, and I think, it's, I think it's fairly clever how he, how he phrases it. It's uh, 1 Kings chapter 15. It's verse 18. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that were left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of the servants. And King Asa sent them to Benadad, the son of Tabermon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. Now, he sent him a bribe, basically, right? Where did he get the bribe? He stole from God so that he could bribe a pagan king that doesn't really have any power anyhow. Who has the power? God. An Israelite king, a son of David, who sits on David's throne, who reigns righteously for 36 years, has completely broken covenant with God. Stole from God so that he could bless a foreign king. So that that foreign king could hurt another Israelite. It just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? And so, uh, it's a pretty good deal for Benadad, a king of Syria. Because he runs into this, this trade route that runs right alongside uh, the, the, the border right here of Israel. It's a, great, it's a great deal for him, and he makes a fortune making this deal. And so he holds that, that territory for a very long time and works out really great as a trade route for him. So when he hears about this deal, he says, yeah, I'll take that deal. I'll take the deal all day long. And so he comes right down the center of uh, the northern nation of Israel, and he just cuts a swatch 
through, through the northern nation of Israel. He takes all the storehouses up here in the northern nation, uh, the northern tribe of Naphtali, and he starts cutting, cutting down through, these, through, the, through the cities. They can't really stop him because uh, they don't have the superior fighting force because all their people, all their armies down here fortifying Ramah, right? And so he knows if he cuts down through here, what's Basha going to do? He's going to move his, his troops from here. He's going to come up here, but by that time, uh, Benadad's gotten what he wanted, and he's already headed home by the time uh, Basha learns what's happening. And so that's what happens. Uh, and Basha moves his forces over here, and he goes back back home. Uh, and then King Asa uh, gets all the stones, and he starts fortifying these different um, sections of his own city, making or of his own country, making it a little bit more uh, firm, formed up. All right, now, look what he says uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7. He's going to meet another prophet. He's called a seer in this section, but this guy's name is Hananiah. So he, at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, this is the second time he's come back from a battle. It wasn't really a battle this time, but that a prophet has met him. The first time it went really well. This time, it's not going to go so well. This is what Hananiah said to him. Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. He's kind of implying here, you could have had Syria. God would have given you dominion over the, the kingdom of Syria. But you just didn't believe, you didn't trust. He threw away your opportunity. And then he reminds him of the thing that happened early on in Asa's career with the, with the Ethiopians in verse 8. Were the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Remember, he didn't have wars early on because he sought the Lord with his whole heart. Now, he's not seeking the Lord with his whole heart. So he's going to have wars. He's going to, have, he's going to struggle. It's a lesson for us. If we seek the Lord with everything we've got, we might still struggle, but the struggle is worth it. Verse 10, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, tortured him. For he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at that time. Uh, most scholars tend to think that the people seemed to side with Hananiah's advice and thought that Asa had done wrong here and should have consulted the Lord, should have trusted the Lord, um, but he doesn't. And it seems uh, appropriate to think they hear that uh, Asa uh, was cruel toward the people at that time too. So the lesson I want us to learn from this, I know we're out of time, the lesson I want us to learn is when we are indicted of sin, don't dig deeper into sin. That's what Asa did. When he was indicted of sin, when Hananiah came to him and said, You've done foolishly. Why did you do this thing? That was just ridiculously silly. He just dug his heels in and refused to give over, didn't he? We do that sometimes too, don't we? We get in the middle of sin and then the Bible or someone, a friend, indicts us with our sin and we just dig on our heels. And what's that do? It just makes it worse. Just makes it worse. Um, Asa dies. Not three years later. He's dead because, um, because he refused to trust in the Lord, because he refused to capitulate. And God even sends a sickness that takes uh, diseases his feet. Uh, in verse 12, if you read through the rest of verse 12, yet even in the, his disease, 
He didn't seek the Lord. The Lord was throwing him softballs, saying, hey, come back to me. Wake up. Listen. Here's a disease. And we don't know what it was. Could have been gout. Could have been some kind of, some other disease that affected his feet. Um, but apparently it was pretty painful. And this should have, was intended to wake Asa up, but it just didn't. And he continued uh, seeking the physician's help, the doctor's help. He, he went after his doctors instead of the Lord. And so when we are indicted of sin, don't dig in our heels. It didn't work out well for Asa, and it won't work out well for us either. There's only death and destruction down that path. We need humble hearts that when we see our sin, we grieve it. Like Jacob grieved over the loss of Joseph. And then we run back to the Lord and seek his help in rectifying our problem. Tonight, if you need uh, to, to be saved... Uh, we want to aid you in that request. Baptism is how you get inside of Christ to have your sins washed away, to become right with God. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you're just struggling. And like Asa, you need to wake up. Well, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night to wake up. So if you need uh, the prayers of the congregation tonight to, to be who God would have you to be, why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing. Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that we have our uh, teen devotional um, after services tonight at the Trevathan House. Also, next Sunday will be our Thanksgiving food drive. There's a table set out in the foyer for that um, where you can put your food down on that. 
And also, next Sunday will be our third Sunday singing at 4 o'clock, so please be here for that. And if you're wanting to write down a hymn that's one of your favorites that, um, that uh, really gets you, I was about to say Killy Bumps again, but y'all don't say Killy Bumps, it's Goose Bumps, I guess. Um, but uh, there's a sign out in the foyer board, you can write down your favorite song with number. Um, also, we're desperately needing uh, teachers uh, for the next quarter, the winter quarter. Uh, we need teachers and a Bible hour uh, teacher. The sign-up sheet's out in the four-year board. Also, if you're planning on going to CYC, the last day to sign up for that is December 1st, so please sign up as soon as possible. Uh, remember, continue to keep the Lawson family in your prayers, the Blake family in your prayers, and the Jones family in your prayers, the loss of loved ones last week. Um, I'm sure they're going through a difficult time, so remember them in your daily prayers at this time. Also, remember, continue to keep James and Kristen and Braden and Mason in your prayers as well uh, during this time. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Don't forget to grab a bulletin uh, before you leave. There's so many activities going on, uh, which is great. And um, there's also so many other people that need your prayers at this time as well. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been, pre- been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. First and last verses are number 824. I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come together here to worship you, sing songs of praise to you, to hear a lesson from your word. Lord, we pray that everything that's been done and said here today is in accordance with your word and is pleasing unto you. Lord, we pray that you'll be with all those that are sick and that need your help, Father. Lord, you know them and you know their needs more than us and we pray that you can help them in any way you can. And that if it be your will that they will be healthy again and can return to worship you again with us. Lord, we pray that you'll be with 
those that have lost loved ones, the Blake family, Thompson, Jones, and the others, Father. Lord, just be with them and give them comfort and strength. Lord, we pray that you'll be with James and the Ward family and just help them as only you can and give them some comfort and some uh, strength to go through what they are going through right now. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us as we leave here. Help keep us safe and help us to spread your word in the community and be a light that brings others to you. Lord, we thank you for your son and the many blessings you give us. Lord, we thank you for his sacrifice, and we know that through his blood we can have a home in heaven with you someday. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us and forgive us of our sins. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.